This is Women in STEM Career and Confidence, the podcast for scientific and professional women who want to restore confidence, make meaningful impact, and balance the things and people that mean most to them. I'm Dr. Hannah Roberts, and I'll be sharing with you insights and inspiration into the mindset and skill set to help you navigate your career and lead powerfully. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is to hold up a mirror to yourself and really address the root cause of the issues you're facing. It takes a huge amount of bravery. In today's episode, I talked to the incredible Dr. Verena Wolfram. She's the Senior Medical Affairs Manager in Scientific Engagement at Pfizer. Verena talks about her coaching journey and how she needed to process the grief of not being able to have biological children and the grief she felt in letting go of her academic identity before being able to take next steps in her career. She takes us through the conscious and then intentional decisions she made in her career as a result of the understanding of her values and natural talents. And Verena also talks about the importance of finding a coach you can feel really safe with in order for the work to be effective. I can't wait for you to hear this story. So welcome to the show, Verena. Thank you, Hannah. Nice to see you. Always. Um, I would love it if you could start by telling people a little bit about yourself and introduction, please. Yeah. So hi, I'm Verena um, and I'm a scientist. I'm now working uh, for a major um, pharma company as a senior medical affairs manager um, in scientific engagement and I'm really enjoying this role and I'm also mom of uh, two adopted children Um, and I'm also like um, having like a multicultural family made up of uh, me as a German my husband as a French Canadian and our two English kids amazing thank you so much that job title is quite a mouthful as well (laughs) I I almost choked (laughs) come up with these titles uh, brilliant and I know that for you career has been quite a journey for you as well um, having been through an academic pathway and then making some decisions to move beyond academia as well so it would be really great if you could tell us a little bit about your career pathway and then the circumstances that led up to you wanting to start coaching yeah so <clears throat> I started like probably with my academic career back in Germany as a, as a student studying for a master degree in uh, biochemistry and molecular biology. And um, sort of halfway through that, I decided to move country and I moved to Finland uh, initially just for 10 months. But I stayed there for a little bit longer to finish my uh, master's. Um, and after that, uh, I moved again and I came to England to do a PhD in neuroscience, neurobiology at the University of Cambridge. So until then, I pretty much always stayed like within STEM. And um, as, as you can hear, um, I changed already topics a few times through there. Um, after my PhD, I stayed on in Cambridge in one of the big institutes at the um, MRC LMB, the Laboratory for Molecular Biology. And I did a, a postdoc in, in neurobiology. 
And then I came up um, to the University of Manchester, where I did um, a long postdoc stint um, doing, um, again, neurobiology, neuroscience type of thing. And, um, and then that's like having been like, I don't know how many, more than 10 years, I think, in academia. So I did like six, over six years of postdoc. Um, I really had to make a decision. You know, where, where do I want to go? And um, my husband and I, we had sort of the two-body problem at that time. Like, as he was also in university, he had secured a lectureship at Manchester Uni. So we had kind of the two-body problem, which I felt it was up to me to, eat, to solve it in some way I was capable of. Um, so at that point, I um, tried to make a very conscious decision. Am I using this word here, um, conscious rather than intentional? And maybe, Hannah, we can talk about those differences in, in a bit. So I tried to make a very conscious decision of what do I want to do next. And at that time, I did, I did know very little about what was um, out there apart from academia. But I have had heard about medical writing and healthcare consultancy. Um, and I thought, well, as a non-native speaker, I'm probably not going to be good in writing. So I thought like, oh, you know, the healthcare consultancy probably takes a lot of my skills and what people thought I was good at. So I um, transitioned into that uh, career for uh, just a few years. Um, and afterwards, um, I planned to adopt um, two children with my husband. So again, I felt like, oh, I have to make another career decision there because consultancy was uh, quite stressful and long hours and traveling. Um, and I just felt like, well, if I adopt two children who are probably high need, I need a job which is more like nine to five, you know, where I can reliably be there for the children. And so I then transitioned into the public sector um, uh, in healthcare as well. And six months ago, I started um, at the at the big pharma, and um, yeah, I think now I kind of feel like this is the job I was kind of um, sort of heading towards uh, through through this squiggly move I did along the way. <laughs> I tend to think that careers don't really work in a linear fashion anymore. I've kind of come to believe that we sometimes step on a career conveyor belt and it's all mapped out for us, but actually there are very, very few people that that is, you know, bang on right for. The rest of us have to take this kind of squiggly route. But when we, and I think it's the choice of words that you've used here, when we go from that unconscious to conscious decisions, but then moving on to an intentional decision, that's when things can start to shift and change. And I know that if we go back, so this has been in the last six months, you've had a new job. But when I first met you, it was probably around two years ago. Or is it longer? Actually, we're going to have our three-year anniversary of our breakthrough call oh. in just three days. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> three now that's absolutely crazy. But um, I actually think you were one of my first proper clients <laughs> that's terrible to say that isn't it um but no there, I had a group of people that all signed up in the same week there were four people 
all signed up. And that was really the very kind of kickstart of my own business. And that was a good three years ago now, after I'd done all the training and all the qualifications, all the prep clients, some kind of um, short-term clients. That was really the week that started my business. Um, I probably didn't tell you that at the time. <laughs> but there you go. And we're all here now. So three years ago, what was going on for you? three years ago then that led to starting coaching? Yeah. So as I said, um, I made uh, the second transition just before uh, adopting our children. And when I met you, it was like almost exactly a year after we had um, adopted the children. I had been on like a six month um, unpaid leave from work to, to take care of the children together with my husband. Um, and so I was back at work and I felt like, Yes, I have the, um, the work-life balance. I worked like um, po 0.8 of the time. So I had like time to bring them to school, time to pick them up from school. Um, so I was kind of like supposedly in a place, you know, where, where everything just came together. You know, I had a job which supports my children and I had like finally made like, even though it's an instant family, but I finally had this family and we were like looking for. But something wasn't quite right. And there was something that, that it wasn't necessarily missing, but it just didn't sit. And I, I kept looking for like the next opportunity or the next thing without actually knowing what that next thing was. And I think that's, that's kind of, I had followed you for, for a while actually on LinkedIn and um, like you, you had out some nice posts and I thought, well, those posts really resonate with me. So maybe I should just stick out my toes and, and try the coaching. <laughs> I love that. And I know at that time, it's sort of all coming back to me. You talked about being on LinkedIn, looking for this next step that you didn't really know or have conscious awareness of what that actually entailed, but what you were doing wasn't quite right. But there was also an element on LinkedIn, if I remember, of comparisonitis going on. Can you tell us a little bit about yes. what you were doing on LinkedIn at that time? Yeah, so um, having been in academia as a postdoc, I had actually supervised quite a few students from like you know, an MSc level, a PhD level. Like I have had, you know, technicians working under me, under my supervision. And somehow they all frog leaped me. So somehow, like, you know, like when I went on LinkedIn, all I... All I felt doing is like checking, okay, where is this person, you know, I used to work with? And whilst I got like quite a lot of pride seeing like, you know, people having progressed and I, you know, sometimes took it sort of a little bit, you know, felt like, oh, I probably have helped them. You know, I still felt like, well, but I'm not at a place where I should be, I would be, you know, I want to be. And so, yeah, so this, this was the whole the whole thing like constantly kind of comparing myself um like with others who you know who started after me and then suddenly they were like in front of me yes um I think it's really important to kind of flag up at this this point that that voice if people are listening in here that that voice in your head the one that compares you unfavorably to other people isn't your whole self it's this inner critical part that comes in to tell you off 
when you've broken the rule of another one of the different parts of you. So say, for example, there's the perfectionist and going on LinkedIn and seeing that you are substandard to where you believe that you should be because everyone else around is doing the achieving, it kicks in that inner critical voice to tell you off to say, come on, you need to do better, be better, achieve whatever it is. Um, and just having awareness that that is a voice in the head, that it has a job to do. It's like flagging stuff up for us. But sometimes when the dials are set a little bit too high, they can flip into those unhelpful behaviors like constantly checking on LinkedIn. Um, but I'm glad in a way that LinkedIn brought us together. So can you tell us a little bit about your coaching journey and what, what went on? Yeah, so, <clears throat> so as I said, like, I think we started about just under three years ago with the coaching journey. And um, I started with uh, the legacy program. I think it was like a six month program and it was a one to one. And I think uh, during that program, during that journey, um, you know, I realized that and that's where like I'm saying I have made conscious decision previously. So like, you know, that. I missed some parts of, of, of that journey, how to transition from like, you know, one job to another. So I think um, in our journey, I think what really helped me is kind of like, you know, realizing that I did not voluntarily leave academia, but I left academia because I believed that that was the right thing to do at the time. So I was awake, you know, I knew, okay, I'm awake. I knew I had to change something. And in order to, you know, and, and that was a change. Um, so, and, but I, what I didn't really, at the, like when I did the change, understood is actually that it's a big loss. There was a, like, I kind of really needed to go through a grieving period because academia was the thing I always wanted to do when I was little. So, and, and I just missed out that step. So that's why I'm saying, you know, it was conscious, but it was not intentional in some ways and um, so it wasn't you know it was planned but it wasn't planned um I feel it wasn't planned like holistically if I may say so yeah and, absolutely it does make sense yeah so that was one part it was like the whole you know kind of appreciating that there was grief there by you know ha having to transition from academia and I think the other bit was also that um I think family and career were very, very closely linked um, at, at that moment because, you know, some of the decisions I made were for my family. Was like for, you know, adapting those two children. <laughs> and again, I think it was like, again, um, to do with grief because, you know, I couldn't have biological children. So even though it was like a really... You know, my, some people might think um, heroic step or whatever to adopt, you know, two, two small children from even a different country. But what I hadn't dealt with are like those two grieving points. Sorry. <laughs> we did those two grieving points. And I think that was really important during our uh, first sort of few months in, in the coaching, you know, that you gave me a, a really safe space to kind of go over those grievances. Yeah. We did say as we came on, 
it might be emotional today, didn't we? <laughs> and all emotions welcome as well. Thank you. And it, it is an important point that there have there has been two different emotional grieving points that happened to bring you to that place that hadn't fully been resolved or dealt with. And often emotions, big emotions like that can be huge blockers to how we make decisions and how we move forward from that point. And actually clearing the backlog of stuff clears the way and the pathway to move forward as well. Yeah, and I think I think for me that was exactly it. And it was also to um, understand what the grievance was about, particularly in the career. You know, what did I leave behind that was important to me? And it wasn't, you know, with the work we did, I found out it wasn't the skills because I didn't leave the skills. It was like um, that in academia and some of the jobs I had in academia, I actually could rely on my natural talents. And I didn't, so that's why, again, I use the word uh, conscious and not intentionally. When I transitioned careers, I didn't think about them at all. I only thought about, you know, what are my skills? What are my technical skills? You know, what do people think I'm technically good at? So what can I do there for? And that makes perfect sense because often we make these decisions. Okay, I need to make a change. I need to make a move. What am I qualified to do? first of all, and what are my skills that I've acquired along the way? And how do I squeeze myself into what's available right now based on those two things? And often there's a mismatch between what we've become skilled at and what we're actually talented for. So that for me, it's that step from, I went from an analytical chemist <laughs> to an a scientific project manager, all things that are very detail orientated, very focused, very in the kind of um, analytical brain. And I went into coaching and training, which was very much more um, out there in the world, creative, motivating, inspiring, very different. And yet now it doesn't really feel like hard work at all. Whereas back then it did. So can you tell us a little bit more about the discovery of your natural talents and what that enabled you to do then in your career? Yeah, so at some point, um, we then um, moved on to sort of talking about natural talents and actually identifying them um, there because I always thought, well, you know, my skills are my talents. So I didn't really distinguish between, you know, what is a skill and what is a natural talent. Um, and But also, I think at a similar time, we also talked about values as well. So I think like those two things, the the natural talents and the values, I think, those two things really helped me um, to define what is important in, in my career. You know, what, what am I looking for, actually? And I think that then helped me to understand what did I, you know, what did I leave behind? And why do I think you know, I, I left something behind I really wanted? And, and so those two um, things really came together and, and helped me to um, you know, define better of what what it is I need in a job really and then I think the first step um, I did maybe a year or a year and a half and with working with you was like um, you know to try to um, grow within my role more and because we were like talking you know that I quite enjoyed um, 
you know, supervising people and kind of really seeing sort of a first hand um, making a difference type of thing. You know, kind of seeing it on on a person that I actually contribute to this person, to the growth of this person, and um, and and really seeing that I'm making a difference there. And that led me to take on, um, because in my role I couldn't actually align manage because it was just not part of my role. But um, there was an opportunity to take on a supervisee, and and so I applied and and then um, I got the opportunity to do that. And you know that really brought more fulfillment in, into the role I already had. Yeah, I think there's that part of the puzzle, which is making the best of the current situation, being able to try things out that are potentially um, things that can enhance your levels of happiness and fulfillment without actually needing to go to the next bright, shiny object and find that that isn't quite right either. So I am a big advocate for making the best of what you have while figuring out what those next steps are as well. I believe your words weren't actually that I like to supervise other people. I think your words were, I like to tell people what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Apologies if I've just dubbed you in there. (laughs) It's still half true. (laughs) Still half true. (laughs) Yeah, good. So... You'd been in this role, decided, okay, it's not fully aligned to my natural talents and capabilities. It's very much in like mine, in the detail focus. And I'm actually quite good at managing people, bringing the best out in people, communicating effectively and developing opportunities and seeking opportunities to do that. And that also involves having really like, dedicated and focused conversations with your line manager as well about where it is that you're heading so after that what did you do next then so my next step was sort of um i think they call it maybe diagonally so it was within the same the same work environment but uh, transitioning into like a different position and into a different team and um i think as we had established, you know, what I'm happiest was really like talking to people and trying to, you know, make sort of information like look good. So my next role was actually, um, you know, kind of using those natural talents. So it was all about um, building like uh, what's called an evidence standards, but it was like really working with like a lot of external stakeholders with academics with clinician and with all you know all sorts of people who are external to the organizations it was a lot of talking a lot of you know sitting in presentations a brainstorming and then bringing it all together and delivering like like a product that that brought all those ideas um, together and around that time I think that also maps on quite well to the career design mastermind program that you started as well um was that around the same time so I know I think that was before because um yeah that that was that was before I think the the final bit was like then in the career mastermind I think yes but that's when I transitioned to the post I'm I'm in now. <laughs> ah, okay. I knew there was some sort of crossover with a couple of these different roles. Um, so was there something in particular and specific in the career design mastermind program that helped you to 
take that opportunity from where you were you've done a secondment that diagonal move to enhance more your natural talents and capabilities how did you then make the decision to move beyond that workplace yeah so I think there were like a couple of things I did with you actually um before starting uh, the career design masterminds um there were like a few and I've written them down so I I actually can name them. So there were the career in action and the career launchpad challenge. Oh, wow. Yes. Which, which, are, which, uh, which have been like, uh, you know, five day challenges, as far as I remember, uh, which, which you offered. And um, I think they already laid like the foundation. And also, you know, as I said, going through my natural talent, I think all of those things, they just layered up and um, the career development mastermind design mastermind career design mastermind that's right sort of brings brings that all together and then goes a, a bit further but actually the um when I started sort of with that job application I think it was like very at the beginning of the of the career design mastermind so it was still based on you know all the other fundamental work we had been doing together and from you know the the knowledge from those um five-day challenges as well and um, it was kind of like, you know, being very conscious about your network and knowing, you know, what is important in your career. So actually what happened was I didn't, because I was in the secondment and I still had like over six months to do actually in the secondments. I wasn't actively looking for the next job because I had parked it and said like, okay, I'm going to do that like, if I and I still have three months left for my secondment, so I hadn't looked actively uh, for a job, but being on LinkedIn, not looking anymore <laughs> at other people, but just you know sometimes being inspired of of what was out there. And um, one of my um, one of the people in my network, she reposted um, a, a job ad uh, from her company, and it's just like the moment I read that ad. I just thought, oh my God, this is something I just have to apply to. I mean, it was like, you know, it was kind of like um, working with academics, working with people from the NHS, working with a, a global farmer. So it's really bringing, you know, uh, my expertise in, in healthcare and in sort of research and science. It kind of just put it all together in a, in a little puzzle. And I thought, Okay, I really, I really should at least try to inquire um, on on this job opportunity, and so I wrote an, a message to to this uh, person who had reposted it, and um, she didn't even have a call with me. She just said, "Look, I'm going to send you on to the recruitment manager. You should talk to this person because I think that's the right person for you to talk to." And I think it, it was very quick. I think it was within like a few weeks um, and a couple of interviews um, that they offered a job to me. Amazing. I love that you went on LinkedIn and finally it wasn't about looking at what other people were doing. It was about being able to separate from that and just opportunities arising as a result of being on there. And I do find that LinkedIn is a, I mean, one, it's, free 
And two, it's a huge hotbed of opportunities for every single person should you choose to view it in that way. And I know today we've talked about lots of different um, titles for the work we've done together, but essentially, because I basically pulled it all together into the career design mastermind, we've done some one-to-one coaching under whatever banner we call it. Um, and you've done career design mastermind. And the five-day challenges, I just love a five-day challenge to bring a, a large group of people together all at the same time and get that buzz and the energy off each other. And we'll have to do some more of those next year as well. It would be good. <laughs> the one thing that I really remember from the work that we did together was around interviews. So you said that we just eased and I got the interview and I did it and I got the job as if like, Interviews were never a problem for you. (laughs) Is it okay? And you don't have to, but I would love to hear a little bit more about your experience with interviews prior to that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, interviews. So it's, it's really a mixed bag because like, you know, the ways I went through academia, it was all very free, free flowing. So it was often, you know, like, um, people I knew and we would set up some grants together and then you know like like we designed them together and then I you know we got the money magically and you know there was there was a job um, at the end but when I moved into the public sector I think it was very rigid interviewing it was um, if it's called competency-based interviews and I, I I mean I think till to this point I somehow have an aversion <laughs> against like those type of interviews because they felt like very um to me they felt like very learned very um you know unnatural and I had to sort of always tease out and um, things which happened naturally to me or which I could just do and suddenly I had to explain them to somebody and I found I found that really really difficult because I'm like Look, I'm just doing them. You just have to trust that I'm good at it. <laughs> I love that. Don't ask me a question. Just trust I can do this thing. <laughs> so, so I found I found it very difficult to, you know, direct to to direct my answers. I had to, you know, practice them and and like, you know, to kind of think about different um, examples of, you know, where have I shown this type of skill? Where have I used? you know certain aspects of what they were looking for and somehow I found that a real real struggle to be honest um, and uh, yeah so, so some of the jobs you know I first got a rejection and then they offered me some other job because maybe they still thought I was good but I just didn't answer the questions the way they wanted to hear <laughs> I love it I love it yeah and I think um, the interview leading up to this job I think it just felt like a conversation, even though they asked me some comp- competency-based questions. I was a lot more, I, d- I didn't learn them, but I was kind of a lot more in an area where I felt I can answer them because they were just me. So I could, you know, I could just talk to them about it. I love that. I think it's a case of I no longer got in my own way. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> The overthinking part of the brain. What do they need to hear here? Is my language skills, are they, you know, up to standard here? What's the correct word to use here? I think 
you let go of all of the stuff, the internal chatter to be able to be fully present and actually be able to have the conversation as you would without all of the stuff going on in the brain. Yeah, That'd be I fair to that. say. Yeah, I think that 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 is really fair. And I have to say that made me feel very comfortable. So having had the opportunity to talk to the recruitment manager beforehand, you know, I felt I knew her already. And so so it kind of felt like almost, you know, talking to somebody I I knew already. And and so it didn't feel as daunting, I, I suppose. I love that. And I think it's really important to do that, to speak to someone within the organization, whether it's the hiring manager or someone within the um, team that you want to work in order to find out just a little bit more about the role and the company so that you can get a, all your questions answered, really, rather than we make assumptions based on the job description, but what's it actually really like and what does it really entail? Yeah, definitely. Amazing. So more recently, we have been doing some other kind of work together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that something that you want to say a little bit more about today? Well, um, I, I don't know where we lead that discussion to, but uh, yeah, so it has been like, we have been working around um, the voice dialogues. Yes. Um, so I don't know if you want to explain a little bit around the voice I probably should, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> and Brilliant. then I can, you know, maybe tell like, you know, how it helped me to, you know, get where I am. Brilliant. Let me actually introduce what voice dialogue is. So... Um, many of you will know that I use um, lots of different coaching based skills and tools. Um, I have a background with a one of many coaching toolkit, but I'm also a professional certified coach with the International Coaching Federation um, and a whole heap of other things, talent dynamics and things that I bring into the coaching. But one of the modalities that I work with purely on a one to one basis is called voice dialogue. And this is the concept that we're not just one voice in our heads, we're actually made up of many different selves. Like one voice says, go for a walk at lunchtime and enjoy yourself, it'll be beautiful. And the other voice is like, no, eat your lunch at your desk and get through all of the emails. So depending upon which voice is strongest determines what actions you take. And the idea is that by uncovering which four to six primary selves are kind of running the show, and maybe the dial is set a little bit too high on those selves. How do we start to separate from their agendas and regain real choice in our um, actions and behaviors so we can bring in a little bit more of maybe what we're missing in our lives? So if we're very um, structured and pushing and pleasing, it can leave little room for more being selves, like fun, laughter, enjoyment, <laughs> Um, and there's always something on the other side that we can bring in a little bit more of. So it's about a bit like, I always give the analogy of keys on a piano. At first, just having access to kind of four keys, like, um, I don't know, chopsticks on the piano. And then suddenly getting access to more keys and being able to play Mozart or Beethoven or whatever it is that you want to do. Um, and that's my mini introduction to voice dialogue. I love it. I think it's incredible and powerful. But what did you think, Marina? Yeah, so so I think um, I think one of the reasons 
why I wanted to do it was like because it was I knew I had like those voices in my head but I think it was a lot more the difference between me and my husband <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. I forgot to mention we often marry our opposite selves as well which causes so much conflict and tension yeah because yeah because I think I think it came around particularly what I don't remember exactly but it might have been the pusher and the slop or something like that so you know me always like needing to have things done and like you know getting Get, getting it all moving and constantly doing stuff and and then I'm turning around and my husband is sitting there and like you know he just does his thing and it felt so natural for him so I, I was like you know even though I kind of sometimes despised him for this I also felt like you know what it would be nice to have something of that for myself you know it would be nice to just like well I'm gonna feel like going for a swim so I just tell him you know what I'm off for a swim now <laughs> easy, isn't it <laughs> and so so I think I, I kind of saw that you know that diff that, that opposite in, in us and and I think like that really related to you know when when you described the voice dialogue um in some of your sessions and I thought you know what I think probably my dial for this bit is set very high so if I can dial this one down and dial the other one a bit higher then you know, here I am and, and like not kind of feeling like all worked up about him sitting there <laughs> and me doing the thing. And and so that's, I think that was like one, you know, one thing that, that kind of drew me uh, to the program. Um, and I think like what well, we have worked, I can't name them, but we have worked through five yes. or six um, of, of them yet. And, and I think like, you know, the dialing down the perfectionist was really like, you know, it's a really a big thing. And it's like a super big thing, particularly like in my personal relationships, mm-hmm. you know, in my relationship, like um, to my son, as I, you know, as I mentioned, he's adopted. So he uh, has early childhood trauma. So he's not a perfectionist at all. <laughs> so having him put in front of a, you know perfectionist mom it is like you know it's kind of really it, it's it's a really hard thing for both parties so I think like you know working on those things I mean has helped me a lot with you know dealing with with my stresses uh, around some some of my relationships I'm, I'm having absolutely because if we think about it the selves that we have at our forefront um, we can get a different relationship to ourselves, but we're also interacting with other people's selves every single day. Like you said, my husband's slob or my husband's selfish parts or my husband's whatever it is. And in the gap between the two people can be a huge amount of anger, resentment, hurt, upset, and it can cause real tension in relationships too. And the idea with voice dialogue is instead of batting the ball, like a tennis ball across the court and they bat it back and you go back and forth, you actually just put the tennis racket down and walk off the court and do something completely different. And miraculously, the other person does something different too. Amazing. (laughs) But I want to check in with you. Is that what you found? I know it's early stages, but have you noticed any difference in other people's responses to you from the work you've been doing? 
Well, I think I think it's more difficult to pinpoint the reactions of the others rather than you know like the changes I have noticed for for myself. You know, like not you know not being drawn into you know huge sort of I don't want to call them anxieties, but like you know stresses really. Um, but um, I think it's yeah I think. Um, around the house you know it's, it's just like yeah, we we operate like you know a bit smoother but you know i don't know if it's them or it's me it's probably both it's probably both but so um yeah but it's also kind of interactions i think um you know with my with some of my new colleagues now so uh so i, I think there is a there is a difference and i i'm hoping you know that a lot of the difference is coming from me. <laughs> but, well, yeah. as, but as you say, you know, there's always a, a response uh, from, from, from the other side, isn't there? Yeah. But like you said, the difference is felt within, first of all. And then we often notice changes in the way people interact with us as a result. I love that. Um, I want to check in before I ask a couple of final questions. Is there anything else that you really want to say about your journey that I've missed in our conversation? I, th I think the what, what really has helped, you know, the work I did with you is kind of this mindset shift. And I think, you know, that that was like a really big thing, you know, to kind of um, notice that, you know, I first have to change my mind shift. Like I first have to shift there before I, before I can do anything else really. And, um, the other thing is you know that um, I think you know you managed to give to give like me a real uh, feeling of safety so I, I could actually engage you know with the tools you provided and, and with our conversations you know even though sometimes it was quite hard <laughs> well of course <laughs> <laughs> but but you know it's, it, it was really good to to feel like you know there, there is a safe place so where, where we can explore um, those things yeah, I appreciate that. It can be really hard to hold up a mirror to ourselves and what's going on. And so ensuring that you find a person that you're able and comfortable enough to do that with is very a very special thing. So thank you for that. Two questions before we finish, if I may. I'm so okay. greedy. <laughs> Number one is... Oh, and I, I suspect that you're going, oh my God, these are the questions that she said she was going to ask and I don't know what she's going to ask me and I'm going to freak out. Um, don't freak out. Um, if you could go back to any point in your history of your timeline of your life and you could land in at a point and give yourself a piece of advice, what point in your personal history would you go back to and what would you say to yourself? Well, I probably, you know, as we have been talking about careers, it's kind of just sticks in my head. You know, there are probably other points in my life, but like, let's stick with the career theme. It's probably when I transitioned from academia. So in the run up, I, you know, like I, I knew I had to kind of, you know, make a decision how I can stay in academia or what I will be doing after. And I did have some coaching, you know, group coaching. There was somebody talking about um you know personality types and and you know like this higher level stuff and I think like sitting there I felt like you know this is kind of an interesting thing 
And I, I wished I then would already have made this step, you know, not just thinking it was interesting, but, but thinking like, oh, could I actually use this right here, right now? So I wished, you know, I had started the coaching earlier because I knew it was out there. But ah. I kind of probably at that time, like, you know, there were loads less coaches and, you know, people are still like, kind of, oh, you need coaching for what are you needing coaching? You know, you're doing so well. So I think it was still this, this perception maybe that, you know, coaches are only needed if, I don't know, you are in big trouble or you know, like, whatever, you couldn't do things or whatever. So I think, yeah, I think if I could back, go back to that point, you know, I would go there and say like, don't make a conscious choice, make an intentional choice. I love how you brought that, those words together. And you're not the only one. I also wish that I'd done it a lot sooner as well. <laughs> <laughs> I could save myself a whole heap of heartbreak. Brilliant. And my final question for you today then is what advice would you give to somebody who was about to embark on a coaching journey with me? What piece of advice would you give someone doing that? Sign in for the breakthrough call <laughs> and see like and see if you like Hannah's style. Because you know, I think we have talked about this like now throughout the, the call as well. It's really important to feel safe with the person, you know, to feel like listened to and heard and to kind of, um, you know, feel that you can engage with, with, with your coach because I think that is really important. Otherwise, there may not be the success you are looking for um, if, if you are not, you know, if you can't engage with, with the opposite person. And I so, would, yeah, come put in the call. Put in the call, <laughs> do it now. <laughs> We're making good advertisement for you. <laughs> Thank you, Verena. I love that. Yeah. I, but, but sorry if I can say something um, else. I, I think it took me quite a while to pluck up the courage to, to you know, like thinking of three years ago. Um, as I said, I had followed you for a while, you know, then um, I think you might even have offered free calls at that point. And I think I sent an email and then it still took me like weeks before I actually finally booked it. So it's, I'm not saying it's an easy step, but, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's really important to kind of have this first touch point and see if, you know, if you two can work together. Perfect. Thank you. Um... Yeah, really appreciate that as well and appreciate this conversation today. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Hannah, for inviting me. And I cannot wait to hear what you do next as well. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I hope I can make my title shorter, <laughs> but still less exciting. <laughs> me too, me too. Thank you, Verena. Thank you for listening to Women in STEM Career and Confidence. To get further support in your journey, Join me in Breakthrough Unleashed on Facebook.